0: Previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. The different levels of just totally just bringing down the vibe that we got hit with, it hurt the soul. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland! Welcome to episode 34 of The Sports Refuge, the weekly interview show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. This episode's guest, Jean Goblinger, is a Cleveland, Ohio native and a diehard sports fan who found herself moving east to Maryland nearly a decade after the first incarnation of her beloved Browns headed to Baltimore. Since arriving in Maryland, Goblinger has worked as a copy editor at The Daily Times, where I first met her, before ultimately pursuing was a childhood dream in teaching at Salisbury University. In this episode, Goblinger discusses what it was like growing up as a Browns fan during their successful run in the 80s, the emotions involved upon the news of the team's departure from Cleveland following the 1995 NFL season, her marriage to her husband, who is a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and what it's like being a sports mom. And now, here's my interview with Gene Goblinger. Gene Goblinger is someone I first met when I started out my career in journalism. I was just pretty much a kid. I was about oh, 25, I guess, when I first started at the Daily Times and I met her. She was the smiling lady working on the copy desk, and <laughs> and I've been fortunate enough to know her for such a long time, and I'm glad to have Jean on the show. She is someone who I've been wanting to get on, especially because she is a Cleveland fan, and I know that when you think of Cleveland sports fans, there are a lot of talk about how sometimes they were long-suffering when it comes to particular things. But I thought it'd be great to especially get her perspective, talk to her about a lot of things, uh, what it's like being a fan in Cleveland, and some of the cool things she's been able to do after getting out of journalism and going into teaching. How are you today, Gene? Hi, Earl. I'm so
1: excited to join you today.
0: Thank you for I'm coming I'm really
1: on. excited about the Browns. I can't wait. Super Bowl bound, baby!
0: Jumping right into it, I know being a Cleveland Browns fan, what are the expectations like, especially after it feels like the long search for a franchise quarterback is over and Baker Mayfield is rightly in the place right now?
1: Yes. Okay, so first of all, the search for the quarterback has been devastating. Every year when we we have the draft, we dread the quarterback draft every year so finally last year with Baker Mayfield we saw that we had some great potential we had some rough spots with the kicker so some of the games in the beginning of the season we know we could have won if we had had a better kicker but we did see the great potential in Baker and we're just gonna build around him and now we have Odell Beckham and Kareem Hunt and we're, we're ready did
0: you feel any time, I guess since ninety nine since Tim Couch was drafted, was there anybody else that you thought really had the potential to be that franchise quarterback before Baker?
1: You know, I was excited about Derek Anderson actually, because he did really well, and we played that Thursday night game where we 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 beat the Patriots, and that was really exciting. But not really. I know everybody was excited about. It. Johnny Money, Manziel, but that was another bust. So, excitement of other quarterbacks, yes, but to see that great potential as a franchise quarterback, not until Baker.
0: I think about that season, I believe it was Derrick Anderson, where they had the winning season and missed the playoffs. Yes. And, and I think that's up there maybe with that one season, Couch got into to the playoffs and the call that got reversed on the touchdown where everybody was throwing uh, bottles after that.
1: Yes. That was devastating as well. We also have had a lot of, and I know when the teams are down and out, people like to blame the refs, and that's kind of a scapegoat, but we really have gotten a lot of very unfortunate calls because we are not a very popular team. So I know that that we don't always have calls in our favor. I know last season we had a call where Baker was hit in the helmet, and the ref never called it and said after apologized a week later that, yes, he should have called it. And so those things are devastating because those are game breakers for us.
0: In your mind, who would you say is the greatest coach in your lifetime of the Cleveland Browns?
1: Well, because I grew up watching Bernie Kosar. And so when Bernie Kosar played, we had Marty Schottenheimer. So he was our, my by far my favorite coach. That was when we had the cardiac kids. We had Kevin Mack. We had uh, Ozzy Newsom, who, who unfortunately went with the Ravens. We also had Brian Brennan. We had Clay Matthews was on our team at that time. Those, That was when I fell in love with football. We, we, I grew up in the 80s, and we would every Sunday get together after church. All the neighborhood kids would come over our house. We'd gather around our TV. We'd order pizza, and we'd all cheer on the Browns. And it was just so much fun and so exciting that I just fell in love with football. And they were very exciting to watch at the time. I mean Bertie Kozer led us to a couple of playoffs. I know John Elway at the time was our big nemesis. So we 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 did that like the Broncos. But it was very exciting to watch. And the Steelers at that time were not even a competitor. We weren't even worried about them. We were more worried about the Broncos than we were about the Steelers.
0: I remember when I first took sight of watching the Cleveland Browns, especially when they were on the AFC football on NBC, I remember Testaverde was the quarterback, and uh, that was right around the Belichick years. And it seemed like that was a very unique time, especially from when Belichick got hired to, to 95. And – you know, I was sort of cheering them on. They were like my secondary team. I was The Redskins were my main team, and then right then the Browns were my uh, secondary team. Them and the Colts were sort of going back and forth. I know Jim Harbaugh was QBing the uh, Colts back then, and that was a pretty cool time just watching football, especially first getting into it.
1: Yeah, I never really liked Bill Belichick, though, for some reason. I always had this thing about him that he just didn't seem very trustworthy and I am right because you've seen what he's done with the Patriots he just doesn't seem like a very trustworthy guy that he likes to take the easy routes so you know anything at any cost to win
0: and interestingly enough I I've always talked about this and in previous episodes I've talked to people there was this one episode of a football life that they did uh, with Belichick in the front office of the Browns Cleveland 95 and and with everything going on surrounding the the talk about the team moving and things like that. And it was a very unique right. look into what was going on, especially how basically Belichick hired all his guys who end up becoming big high profile either GMs or coaches later on down the road. When you see Scott Pioli and Ozzie Newsom and right. Mangini and a whole bunch of other guys, not only just running you know, the practices and doing stuff like that, they're also doing groundskeeping. They're cutting the grass. They're doing a lot of the other work. It's very interesting to see how things have changed in the past almost 25 years because you don't think a lot of coaches would be doing all that uh, secondary work, especially trying to keep up with the facility and things like that.
1: I mean that's true. I, I agree with you. I just, like I said, I've never really been a big fan of of, of Bill Belichick. I mean, obviously he's gone to be very successful with the Patriots, but I just he wasn't one of my favorites.
0: <laughs> and I can I can definitely understand that.
1: And we have so many coaches, though. Not only have we had so many quarterbacks, but we have had so many coaches.
0: Who I guess, aside from Marty gave the franchise the
1: most hope Ooh, that's a good question i mean I, I guess like i said in those years marty and bill belichick were probably by far the best browns coaches that we've had um i haven't really seen much hope i've seen a lot of bad calls a lot of error and judgments with the coaching staff and it's been very political and they just haven't really done anything with the browns because i think the browns They have had a lot of talent, so they have, it's not that they had a lack of talent, it's just that nobody knew how to organize the talent, and even at the beginning of this year, or last season, excuse me, when, you know, they didn't want to start Baker, I mean, that was another mistake, that's another error in judgment, is that they just don't know how to organize the talent that they have, so hopefully, moving forward, they have the talent, like I I said, we're excited that Odell Beckham Jr. has joined us, and Kareem Hunt, And working with uh, Baker, I think that now that they can organize it better, we definitely have that potential to be very successful. I'm telling you, Super Bowl, Earl, Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, I think Nick
0: Chubb is a guy that I'd keep my eye on, especially yes. a couple of years removed from his knee injury. And. I don't want to compare him to Todd Gurley, but I mean he was, I believe, his backup, or they played together at Georgia, so I always think that he probably has that same potential as Gurley, especially breaking out to be a potential MVP candidate if the offense goes the right way.
1: Well, that's true. And, you know, we've always had... Cleveland has always had a very strong defense, too. So, like, we added Miles Garrett. He's phenomenal. Um, But now we're working on getting that offense together, so we have both pieces and parts in place, and... It's going to be an exciting season. I'm ready for it.
0: I know there's a lot of uh, especially interest when the schedule comes out. Is there a particular game that you're looking forward to?
1: Oh, of course. The Steelers. I can't wait to watch my husband's team lose while I'm inside on the big screen TV. And he's in the garage, Earl, because I have shared that story with you before that he always said, The losing team or the one with the worst schedule or the worst performance has to watch the games in the garage. So at our house, we have a big screen TV in the living room, and then we also have a big TV in the garage. And so since I have had the worst record, I have had to watch all the Browns game in the garage while he's inside in the comfort of our home with the big screen TV. But this year, he's going to be in the garage for sure. I'm taking over the TV and stuff. I can't wait. It's going to be a great season.
0: Being married to a Steelers fan, how did you first find out he was a Steelers fan?
1: When I first met him, that's all he talked about was the Steelers. We met at a wedding. He was the best man, and I was the maid of honor. Cheesy, I know, but that's how we met. Fell in love. And I had to overlook that one flaw he had, which was he was a big fan. Pittsburgh fan, he loves the Steelers, he loves the Pirates, he loves the Penguins, but we all have our flaws, right Earl?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to sort of go back, I know you said growing up in the 80s, big uh, Browns fan. I know the Cavaliers were really good back then, I think of Mark yeah. Price, Craig Elo, uh yeah, Doherty, Howard
1: Williams. Price.
0: How were the Cavs, I guess, treated, especially in, in a town that was basically a football town?
1: Well, I'm telling you what. Cleveland, we are a diehard sports fans, so the Indians are a big deal, the Cavs are a big deal, and the Browns are a big deal. We love our sports team, so we support them all equally. We're all crazy fans for each sport. The, the Cavs were very good at that time, it was very exciting to watch, so we would go from season to season waiting for baseball to start, waiting for basketball to start and then waiting for football to start it just was just an exciting all-around sports town where it's, it's still the same I still support the Cavs even though LeBron left us I still support the Indians I was there you know when we were going to the World Series I mean everything is it's it's just a huge sports town we love the Cleveland teams And we support them when they're good and when they're bad.
0: Who would you say is probably the bigger sports villain in Cleveland? Would you say John Elway or Michael Jordan?
1: Ooh, um, I would say John Elway. Nobody, that's like a curse word in Cleveland. He was like, when you watch Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football, he was like Lucy with the football for us every time. We're like, come on, Charlie Brown, kick that football. You can get it. You're going to get it. We're going to get into the playoffs. And every time John Elway would pull that ball away from us, it was devastating.
0: And I know you talk about the Indians going to the World Series. Which of those three were the most exciting? Was it 95? Was it 97? Or was it, of course, recently in 2016?
1: Uh, Well, 95 was the most exciting for me because I was in Cleveland. 2016 was heartbreaking wrenching it was terrible it was terrible because it was again another one of those times where you're so close and you just don't you don't get the enterprise it's it's devastating it's almost like you'd rather be out earlier than to have to go through that last-minute loss.
0: I was watching that World Series. I was sitting in the newsroom at the News Journal, especially when it went to extras when Rajai Davis hit that home run. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is crazy. And I had basically, after the Orioles got knocked out in the wild card game, I tend to take off a round or two and maybe get back into watching – Uh, the playoffs once the World Series or the League Championship Series come on. And that World Series was probably not only just a fact because it was Cleveland versus the Cubs, two longstanding groups of fan bases that were waiting for a World Series for a very long time, but just the fact it was worth the watch because there are some seven-game World Series that were not really good, but this one was really up there.
1: Well, it was exciting. And like I said, in true... Cleveland fashion, we we like to drag it out to the end, just like when LeBron won with the finals, it was game seven, I mean it's always that where your heart is pounding out of your chest, we like to go big or go home. <laughs>
0: And I remember when they created the Believe Land thirty for yeah. thirty, and they amended it with the Cavaliers winning the championship. I was thinking, man, they might have to amend it again for the Indians because it got that close. And I'm thinking, man, this could actually happen. I always say I've seen popes change. I've seen so many other things. I've seen black presidents, but never seeing the Indians win the World Series. That was probably one of those things up there. I mean, of course, I can't say I've seen a change in monarchy yet because the queen might outlive us all. But... I think that's still a unique thing in, to see in life.
1: Right. And that's the thing, too, about being a Cleveland fan is that, you know, we have had so much patience with all of our sports teams that when we have actually gotten there and won, you can't even describe the feeling that you have. It's It's almost like a relief, but like just the top-of-the-world thrilling excitement. And so that's why I, we've had so much patience with these Browns. I just know that this is going to be our year. But that's the saying in Cleveland. Like If you drove through to Ohio, we should have a sign right next to Welcome to Ohio that says, there's always next year. Because that's really our slogan.
0: <laughs> What's the rivalry like between Cleveland and Cincinnati?
1: You know what? There wasn't really a big Rivalry. I never really felt that competition really from the Bengals. I know that the Ravens there is a little bit but still not as much. I think the biggest is the Steelers and the Browns. I think that's probably um, who we have the hardest time with and you'll see that when we play there's a lot of fighting going on between the two. So I think it's probably because we're closest so as far as, you know, an area distance between each other. But I would say I never really felt that kind of rivalry with the, with the Bengals. I mean, I would cheer for them if I saw them play. Not us. Not against us. But
0: mm. <laughs> and just looking at the Bengals, I mean— they're an offshoot of basically Paul Brown going to Cincinnati after being exiled by uh, Art Modell, which
1: another name that's probably villainous in Cleveland as well. Yeah, it is. So John Elway and Art Modell are both right up there. And that was devastating too, is that and the irony of growing up in Cleveland and being a huge Cleveland sports fan, living there for 30 years, loving my town, loving my sports, and then ending up moving to Maryland, (laughs) where my team was taken away and given to Baltimore. And I pretty much am one of the only Browns fans here in the area. So that is kind of ironic that I I now live in Maryland, where our team was taken to.
0: When you first heard the news, how did it all settle in? What was the thought when you heard that, this is their chance that the team's leaving, that the Browns are leaving.
1: Um, it's, it was devastating growing up and loving your sports team and loving the Browns. And that, like I said, having those memories where you got together with your family. I grew up in a huge family. I'm the youngest of nine. And so growing up in that environment where that's family time together that you, you dedicate every Sunday together, watching the game with each other and bonding, and then having that taken away from you it's it's almost – I mean, it's a big loss. You, you feel an emptiness, and it was devastating. And then to have, like, you know, some of your role models, like Ozzie Newsom, foul that team with them and support them after he played for your team, that also feels like a little bit of a betrayal. That's why I wonder if there
0: is – as much resentment towards the Ravens as Baltimore fans had towards the Colts when they moved to Indy. And because there's still people in Baltimore who still talk about the Colts, like, you know, they're still there.
1: Right. I think that Baltimore is a little more bitter about their team leaving than we were because, you know, eventually, obviously we got the Browns back and, and, I always say that if you're rooting for Baltimore Ravens, you're, uh, you're rooting for my old team. So you're still rooting for the Cleveland Browns anyways. Um, and the Baltimore fans are a different breed. I know I went to a game a couple of years ago, actually, Greg Bassett, our old editor, he had given me tickets to go see the Browns versus the Ravens. And I went and I wore my Browns gear. And at the time, they had started this no-harassment policy. And there was a gentleman who kept harassing me about the Browns. And this was at halftime when the Browns had, they were winning. They were up by a touchdown. And he just was relentless. The security guard came, and he said to him, we have a no-harassment policy. You have to leave. He escorted him out of the stadium. So that, I'll never forget. Like I said, the, brown, the when when I go to the Browns, Stadium. I've never heckled another sports team, but I know that the, the Ravens are a different breed of fans, but at least they do have policies in place where they're not allowing them to go so far where they're harassing other people. I think it's, is it the Eagles, Earl, that they have a jail cell? Yeah, they, the yeah they
0: have
1: one. I mean, that's just absurd. Like The, the fans. I know I am a diehard fan. I'm a crazy fan. M- my son will tell me, oh, great, it's Sunday because all of his friends can hear me in the neighborhood screaming at the TV. <laughs> they know, oh, Mrs. G, it's Sunday and her Browns are losing. She's going to be screaming. But I think that some of the fans go way too far. I mean, to have a holding cell, a jail cell, or to have these policies in place it says a little bit of something that we're going a little
0: too crazy over our team. Yeah, and I know a lot of, especially being here in Northern Delaware, where it's Philly territory, I always ask people about that. And and a lot of people are always having to talk about how the reputation of Philadelphia sports fans tends to get overblown, especially by, of course, the numerous events that have occurred with Boom right. Santa and everything else that occurred. Right. And it's something that really... It's an unfortunate thing, and there are probably fans in worse cities I can't think of off the top of my head. I mean, could easily be perceived that New York fans are probably worse, and there's probably other fans that are extremely worse that I can't think of, Boston fans. But there are plenty of different fan bases that you can put in there that are sort of like – that have this reputation of like bad fans. I right. mean, there and there are good fans in the midst of it. I mean, there's good knowledgeable fans on both sides, but – it's interesting to see that how a minority of people can give fans in a particular city, a bad reputation.
1: Right. Right. Which I think, I don't know what you have heard or your perception of Cleveland fans, but I think that, you know, I think we're up there. <laughs> I think we've gotten some bad reputation, um, but I'm not sure I, cause I am a Browns fan. So I don't know what your take is on it. My perception of Cleveland fans
0: that they are long suffering. It's just like, like you mentioned with Lucy and Charlie Brown, it's just like right when you think everything's about to, to go your way and then things just change on the dime. Right. And that's probably more of the, I guess maybe after the little Bron thing where everybody was mad and burning their jerseys and things like that, the first go-round, that might have been maybe the, still nothing compared to some of the other fan bases that you hear about.
1: Right. So it sounds like
0: people feel sorry for the Browns, huh? <laughs> yeah, maybe Cleveland fans in general, just because, just even when before the Indians got to their run, they were bad for a bit. And then all of a sudden, the young guns with Bell and Lofton and Manny and Tomei. And that's probably one guy that's respected in both cities, Jim Tomei, Uh How great of a guy. Everybody loves him. It doesn't matter where he goes, everybody loves Jim Tomei. Yes. Being a mother of two kids, uh, your son Kyle also plays lacrosse and now is playing
1: football? Yes. He plays uh, lacrosse for the Fruitland Falcons and he's also going to be playing football for them. He, he has played football in the past, but it's only been flag football. And this year we're finally allowing him to play tackle football, which makes me very nervous, but he really wants to do it. So, you know, I figured I'd let him try. I know my brothers played when they were younger, and they're okay. So we'll see how it goes. I'm excited but nervous.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine that. What is it like, especially, I guess, a game day uh, of being a sports mom, especially with everything going on and Kyle getting ready to play either a lacrosse game or playing a football game?
1: It's so exciting to watch. Kyle has this natural athletic ability, and he just is so talented. I mean, he, he plays basketball. He's really good. I mean, he, he play, this is his second year playing lacrosse, and he just picked it up. He's just so natural at, at any kind of sport, and it's so fun to watch him. He went from playing offense, attack, and then this year, they decided to put him on defense with a long pole. And he just picked it up right away. And I played soccer in college as well, and I I was a defender. And so defense is a very hard skill to teach because you have to know where to position yourself. And he just has the foot skills, and he picked it up so well. So it's so exciting to see and watch him play. Um, I don't know how exciting it is for him to have me watch him play because I like to scream. When I cheer from him, and, and I'll say, did you hear me cheering? And he said, yes, Mom, I heard you cheering. <laughs> so I don't know how excited he is when I come, um, because I do like to scream, but I'm I'm very enthusiastic about sports. So it's very exciting. Said- and his father actually helped coach this year. So yeah. that was exciting, too.
0: What are really some of the biggest things you had to learn, especially about lacrosse?
1: Oh, my gosh, everything. I I grew, Growing up in Ohio— we never had lacrosse. That was not a sport. The sports were basketball and football and soccer, baseball. That's it. So when I moved out here like thirteen years ago and I started teaching at Salisbury University, I had a student in one of my CMAC classes who played lacrosse here. And he said, Can you come watch my lacrosse game? And I thought, sure, what's lacrosse? And he's like, You've never seen lacrosse? I said, I don't even know what I don't even know what lacrosse is. And so the first time even coming to a game, I thought, wow, this, it reminded me a little bit of soccer because it's fast-paced. It also reminded me a little bit of hockey. But I thought, what are they doing with these sticks? And I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just incredible. So not only, like, just seeing the game for the first time, but now when Kyle's playing, it's learning all the rules and the, the crazy rules that they have that, like I said, I, it's amazing to me that he's picked up all this stuff because there's a lot of different rules that they don't cross over to the other sports, you know, like you can't be in the crease or they have all kinds of crazy rules. So it's just been fun to watch and to see him pick it up so quickly. And I'm still learning. I don't even know all the rules. I know
0: you mentioned you were teaching at Salisbury university. What led to your decision to go into teaching? And interestingly enough, how did you get into journalism initially?
1: Well, I, when I was in Ohio, I was, I got my master's in communications, and while I was getting my master's, I had uh, an assistantship where I was a teacher's aide, and I loved teaching then. It, it, was, it came natural to me, and I really enjoyed doing it. I was about to pursue, after I published my thesis, I was about to pursue my doctorate degree, but then I met Chad. In Love and moved to Maryland, as you know. So when I came out here, I had had that background in media because in Ohio, I not only had my master's in communications, but I also worked for a magazine, Avenues Magazine, where I did editing and advertising. And so when I came out here, I had the job at the Daily Times where I was a copy editor. And then just with all that experience, I had contacted the department chair here at SU at the time with Dr. Newton. He's a fabulous guy and mentor to me. Um, he no longer is here but I still keep in touch with him and I had sent him my resume and I told him my background. I said I was very interested in teaching again and I had this big background in media and he said oh you would be perfect for this mass media course that we teach here. So then I just They hired me for that course and then they hired me to do public speaking. And now I'm gonna be going on my eighth year teaching here.
0: Public speaking. That is a very tough thing. Even just trying to talk on this podcast can be a very daunting thing for me. What is the biggest key that you try to emphasize to your students about public speaking?
1: Oh, public speaking is so important. The students They either love it or they hate it. A lot of the students, because it's a general education requirement, dread taking the class. They have to take it. But I tell them that it is probably the best skill they will ever learn here at school because you can take that not only into your career, you can utilize those skills there, but in your private life. If you know how to organize your thoughts and be able to articulate them correctly, then all of your interactions with whoever you're talking to are going to be successful, and that's the key to life. We need to be able to communicate with one another, and if you know how to do it effectively and efficiently, you're going to be a success in whatever you do. Trust me, I'm married, <laughs> communication is important. What do you say?
0: What would you say is maybe one of the rigors of teaching?
1: Um, well. I have a lot of students in my mass media class. So at the end I make them do a, a formal research paper, so there's a lot of grading involved. But I actually love it. So to me teaching it it comes very natural and easy to me and I enjoy it. So it's not it doesn't seem like work to me. It just it seems like I'm just doing what I love and I get great feedback. From the students and it's what I was meant to do
0: what did you want to be when you were younger
1: oh, that's funny well I remember we had a huge chalkboard in my basement and I used to play teacher in there and then I thought mmm teachers don't make a lot of money <laughs> when I got older I thought that's not a good choice so I wanted to go actually into law and so I wanted to do go to law school and i did an internship with one of the judges in cleveland and when i started taking law classes i thought this is not me i cannot I just, it just it was just boring to me i just i did not like it so i changed that course and then i decided well i got to do something that i really enjoyed doing and media was something that i really enjoyed working with so when I got my master's in communications, I, I also love to write, and I still do a lot of writing, free writing, journal writing, things of that nature. Um, actually, I was the sports information uh, publicist for my college, where I would do all the PR stuff for them. And so I took that combination of sports and media, and then I ended up at the Daily Times, and now I'm at Salisbury University, back to doing what I have always loved doing when I look back as a seven-year-old girl in my basement and writing on the chalkboard and pretending I was the teacher. That was what, I guess, I was always meant to do and that I always wanted to do. I just got kind of blindsided and sidetracked by trying to want to make money, and I have realized that that's not the most important thing in life.
0: What do you try to bring to your teaching? What is the biggest lesson in addition to knowing that properly communicating is key? What are some of the different things you try to do when it comes to uh, having your classes?
1: Um, I try to make it fun. You know, I try to have the students engaged and participating because if they're involved, then they learn because they're actually doing it. If I can make it, if I can apply it to their real life, then they're taking that skill with them and it's something that they know that they need and use. I I love to have fun with them. Um, I think that if you treat them with respect and show them that they are important and um, it goes beyond the subject matter that, that the student is also very important I think that they're more willing to be open to learn and so I just put my heart and soul into it. And I'm very vulnerable as a teacher in that way. But I think they respond to it very well because they know that I really do care, not only about them learning, but as who they are as a people and who they're becoming. So a lot of my students still keep in touch with me after they've graduated and letting me know what successes they've done and how how thankful they have been that they've had me you know, as somebody, as a mentor in their lives. So it's very rewarding in that sense because I can see them grow not only in the education arena, but also as people, as individuals. And so that's very rewarding for me.
0: Did you ever think about getting into television journalism?
1: Um, you know, when I worked on my master's degree, that was part of one of the courses we had to take. And I really didn't, I just never, I, I would rather have done like the behind the scenes. I like doing the editing. So I worked on an Avid and I did a lot of the editing, but I never wanted to be in front of the camera, which is funny because if you know me, <laughs> I'm not shy. Um, I love to be in front of the camera. <laughs> so that is ironic, but in that capacity, I never really was interested.
0: I know you mentioned you played soccer in college. What other sports did you play growing
1: up? Um, well, I was a cheerleader. I don't know if you can say that as a sport. Uh, I also played softball. Uh, I played basketball. Yeah, those are the, the sports that I played. I actually played softball with you, Earl. We played on a co-ed team.
0: Oh, yeah. That was a fun experience. I always talk about when it comes to playing softball, especially when I'm more on the coaching side, you get all the the pains in your stomach, the guts. and feel like you can ulcer because you're trying to make sure you have enough people to play. And especially with co-ed, you just have to at least try to find four women, and that was always a problem. It I remember I was talking to someone for a previous episode and just talking to them about how they try to get their team together, and they play with the all men's team. And as soon as I started talking about that whole experience, I could start feeling the pain in the stomach start to come back about the stress that was behind all of that. And I could not, I feel like I could not put myself through that. I always said, if I'm going to do anything softball related, I'm not coaching. I'll just rather play. I'd rather not have to deal with that. I'll be there a good half hour before the game starts. I'll be there afterwards, maybe grab a drink or some wings afterwards. But I am not coaching. That was just... (laughs) It was just not worth it. And I know, again, while it was for fun, there's still competition to it because you want to win. Nobody wants to just go. There are some leagues you can play just for fun, but honestly, if we want to get a shot to to play and get a trophy, which I know that's a whole different thing if people are driven by winning all the time, it's it's not going to happen. But, yeah, it can be a very frustrating thing when you not only want to get past the first step of feeling a team, but being able to be a competitive team
1: right i mean i'm watching the browns because i like to watch football but yes at the end of the day i want them to win <laughs> yeah so, with softball. i'm sure at the end of the day you just want to win
0: yeah or at least play well enough that you have a chance to win i could just go through sitting there trying to keep score just thinking oh my god oh this and it's not like we had enough time to practice in between the games, which were sometimes, what, two games a week, sometimes on Sundays. And, you know, everybody's got to work. Everybody has personal lives, Everybody has jobs. But trying to get everybody out there to practice some <laughs> and then notice that, hey, maybe if you practice this, we probably could have, you know, we could have gotten this out or stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, it was fun. But at a certain point, I'm glad Ben was able to take over because it was far less stressful for me. <laughs> Yes, We were talking about this pre-show. You have a unique story interacting with uh, celebrities and <laughs> a couple of good ones. And one of the times you, you met a couple of potential – well, one is a Hall of Famer. One had a potential to be a Hall of Famer, but I don't think he's ever going to give in. Manny Ramirez and the other one, Wade Boggs. And those were <laughs> some very interesting stories that you had told me and a few other people because – I just couldn't imagine being able to be up close to interact with uh, people that big.
1: Well, (laughs) uh, growing up in Cleveland, and like I said, being a huge sports fan, I actually, when it was Jacob's Field, it was called Jacob's Field, worked at the restaurant right across from Jacob's Field. And one of the times working there, there was a group that had come in. They were the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time. And Wade Boggs was on their team. And they had met me and another girlfriend of mine, and they invited us to come to a party that they were having at a nearby hotel. And they had you know a nice setup with food and drinks and everything and just playing games in, in one of the bigger rooms. And so we came, we showed up, and Wade Boggs um, <laughs> took a liking for to me. And when we went to our hotel room, because we stayed there, I went with my girlfriend in our room, he uh, proceeded to pound on the door and shouted, I want Jean, come out Jean. (laughs) So he did make a scene, I did not come out, um, but he did shout, I want Jean. (laughs) So I'll never forget that. And then Manny Ramirez... I actually met him with another girlfriend, a different girlfriend, and we went to his apartment and we just hung out with him for a night. And I am, um, I do look Spanish, Latino. Um, I'm Italian and German and Puerto Rican. So he proceeded to keep talking to me in Spanish, and I told him I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> Un poquito. I took a little bit of it in high school in college, but I didn't speak Spanish, and he just couldn't believe it, but he thought that I was very attractive, and he gave me his hat, because he said I looked very cute in it, and I took the hat with me, and unfortunately, I gave it back to my friend to give it back to him, and I thought, years later, man, I should have kept that hat, (laughs) I'm kicking myself still for not keeping the hat. But, yeah, so uh, those were my two encounters in Cleveland with sports celebrities.
0: Do you have a collection of sports memorabilia? I know you were talking about possibly keeping the hat and wondering what that would have been like having that down the road. But do you have a collection of uh, sports memorabilia?
1: I don't. I have my Browns jerseys. Uh, but that's pretty much it. I just got a Baker Mayfield jersey, which I'm super excited about. And I'm ready to wear that for next season. But that's pretty much it. I just have the, the Browns jerseys that I wear every Sunday. And, Earl, that last last season we did beat the Ravens. And when we beat the Ravens, when I came to work, I taught in my Browns jersey. <laughs> And when I came to the class, everybody was like, oh,
0: man. See, and that's crazy, especially being here in Maryland. And I've mentioned it before. I am not a Ravens fan. I'm a Redskins fan. And it's it's such a – it would be like, you know, in Redskins territory in D.C., which probably happens fairly often, someone coming in with a Cowboys jersey. Right. (laughs) Especially around that area, that is such a unique area, too, because they talk about a lot of Cowboys fans or people who were disenfranchised Redskins fans or fans who, it's funny, talking about the history of that team, you hear a lot of stuff that I can understand why there are a lot of people living in D.C. who are not fans of the Redskins, especially because it's very racist history and not just about the name.
1: Right. Well, you know, with the Redskins, too, I I feel for you as well being a Browns fan and then looking at the Redskins team because it, it reminds me of some of the frustrations that we go through, too, because one of my best friends, Jimmy, is a big Redskins fan. And so I told him last year that I would support him. He would be my backup team. And anytime I watched them, I thought, oh, it's like watching the Browns. It's so frustrating because they would do well and then just, end up losing at the at the last minute. And, and I, I feel your pain.
0: And honestly, a lot of Redskins fans were basically like, yeah, the Browns are going to be better than us. And this is what we get for having our ownership and dealing with all the stuff that goes on. Everybody knew that the Browns were going to be, well, I guess after going like six and three early on, everybody thought, okay, they're doing this through smoke and mirrors. And then Alex Smith gets hurt. And then it just, all crashed and burned when you're on your third string quarterback your fourth string quarterback mark sanchez is throwing the ball everything who's who's starting for you you know i don't know i i guess it's case keenum for right now but maybe colt mccoy has a shot dwayne haskins might have a shot for all we know uh i guess that's the one thing about this year's draft at least now the redskins are set with who they think is their quarterback of the future. Whether that really is going to be the case, I I don't know. Haskins can actually benefit from not actually playing this year, sit back, watch the game, sort of pull like how they did with Stephen Mayer when he was in Houston, and just let him sit, let him watch everything from the sidelines, and then get a year or two so you're not shell-shocked. and then and then come in and try to play well. I mean, not everybody's going to be Baker Mayfield. Not everybody's going to come in in the middle of the season, especially on injury, on a big game, too, and then produce. Some guys, you know, he could easily be Patrick Ramsey. He could just get shell-shocked and never live up to his potential.
1: You know, with the Baker Mayfield thing, too, that that you mentioned him, is that I actually had the privilege of going to the Ravens-Browns game at the Ravens Stadium. I think it was New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve or the day before that, and watching him play, so seeing him live and to see how talented he is was just amazing to see. I mean, he would throw the ball and you would just see the perfect spiral in the air. I mean, It was just so beautiful, and it was a huge difference between watching him throw the ball and watching Lamar Jackson throw the ball, which... Was a big difference. I mean, Lamar Jackson's more of a runner, but he's he's gonna if he keeps that up, he's gonna end up getting hurt. <laughs> he's gonna be the next RG three,
0: which convincingly enough is his teammate on Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, you so, think- but it was it was awesome to watch him play. He really has so much talent, Earl. So, I mean, there's potential, but there's also real talent there.
0: What do you think the biggest worry is about Mayfield?
1: I mean, I don't have any worry about him. I think if we have our, our, our line that protects him so that he doesn't get hurt, we're, we're good.
0: I always think what would have happened had Alex Mack and uh, Joe Thomas stayed for Baker, that would have been a very shored up offensive line, I think. Right.
1: Yep. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens this year. And I'm excited to see how he meshes with Odell Beckham Jr., See how that works out. I mean, they seem to be gelling so far in the off season, but we'll see how that works out.
0: What are your thoughts on the city of Cleveland represented in television and movies? What were your thoughts on the Major League series?
1: <laughs> I thought it was funny. I mean, they they were funny. Um, obviously, they were mocking us and making fun of the town of Cleveland, which is not a real representation, but... You know, it highlights the city. It gives it that public attention, and it was funny. Those movies were funny.
0: What were your thoughts on the Drew Carey Show, especially Guy from Cleveland? I guess was it good enough of a representation of Cleveland? And I mean, it just it was set in Cleveland. Didn't really feel like it really went into a lot of what Cleveland was like.
1: Right, he really didn't. But I think that like when you're from a town like that, and uh, and you know you've had a lot of negative kind of publicity around your town because your sports teams haven't always been up to par and they haven't been given the credit that i think that they deserve that any kind of attention that you get with your name it kind of makes you have that pride in your hometown so i remember watching drew Carey and just being excited that they were mentioning cleveland
0: is there a lot of polka there i feel like I feel like, yeah, I know, especially when they did, like, when they went to, like, the Warsaw Tavern, they would just have a lot of polka stuff, and I know Drew was part of a polka thing. I felt like that's more like a Wisconsin or, like, northern Illinois type thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't experience a lot of polka. (laughs) So I don't know what that was, if it was just a play on it, or maybe it was where he grew up. They had a lot of polka, but that was not one of my childhood experiences.
0: I always ask people this. Well, sometimes I ask people this, but I always thought it was interesting. Me and Ben Pensergo, we've always talked about if there were a movie about the old daily times crew, <laughs> who would you have play as
1: yourself? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I would have myself starring as myself, uh, a celebrity. I don't know. Uh, maybe Jennifer Lopez. Who what? would you have me cast as?
0: See, that's the thing. So, I was going through the the different things, and I know the next thing we'll talk about is celebrity you most looked like. I was thinking when it came to who would we have cast as you. I I, I thought Nadine Velazquez, especially from My Name Is Earl, and she was in Flight as well with Denzel Washington. I wasn't gonna go with like the ridiculously over the top like you know <laughs> Sofia Vergara or anything like that. Maybe Eva Longoria. Maybe that might have been like the the second choice.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'll take it.
0: <laughs> the celebrity that you say people most think you look like.
1: Uh, I've been told a couple of things. I know there was somebody recently told me I look like somebody on a soap opera, but I can't remember who that was. But I've also been told that uh, Eva Mendez or um, the other one was the Jordan Sparks was the American Idol singer because of my big smile, I guess.
0: Yeah, I can see that, especially with another, I guess, NFL tie-in. Her dad, Felipe Sparks, played for the Giants a long time ago, in the mid-90s or so. Wow. Yeah, he was like a cornerback or a safety. I-, I can't think of particularly, but he was definitely on the Giants uh, secondary. There's so many things that are often left on the table that would be interesting for these people to know about you, especially because I'm hoping this is going to be more than just a one-time shot. ha. <laughs>
1: I am just a very enthusiastic Cleveland Browns fan. I love my hometown. I grew up with that kind of in my blood. And so even though I love living in Maryland, I will die a Cleveland Browns fan. My kids have both been Steelers fans. But this year, this year, Earl, my son actually said to me, Hey, Mom, can I get one of those Baker Mayfield jerseys too? And my husband said, oh hell no (laughs) but I might just buy him one I know when he was little we used to have this rivalry on Sundays where I would put him in a onesie and it would be a Browns onesie and then I would go to the next commercial and then I would see he's in a Steelers onesie so we used to change him back and forth (laughs) so we'll see he might be just showing up with a Baker Mayfield jersey this season
0: your shirt as well as says uh figures out all the brownies needed was a baker i always yeah. try to figure out the whole brownie elf thing i could never understand it i know that uh at one time that was part of their logo the football and and i could never figure out what in the world is a brownie elf
1: yeah you know what i don't know what the brownie elf is too i i've seen the brownie elf before but i i don't get it either so there's probably some meaning behind it but i don't really know what it is I just know that we were stuck with very unfortunate colors because nobody really looks good in brown or orange. And those are the colors I'm stuck with. I would prefer pink, but <laughs> that's not what they gave us.
0: And I was just sort of going through, like, all the different random Browns players from, like, when I first started watching. The first name that just popped into my head is Eric Zier. I know he was Vinny Testaverde's backup quarterback. Okay. And it's like, wow, I don't even know why I remember that name so much. I, I do remember a bunch of guys. I remember Ernest Biner. I remember, of course,
1: Testaverde. I was going to say, the, most people who are not from Cleveland, the biggest name that they think of when they think of the Browns is Ernest Biner. Let's just be real, because of the fumble on the one-yard line. Um, that's the biggest name that most people would say. And Bernie Kozar. He was one of our best quarterbacks. Yeah, it's funny,
0: and knowing some people who are Redskins fan, they remember Ernest Byner on their run towards the Super Bowl, I think '91. And it's just when you think about probably the unfair flack that Ernest Biner gets for right. the fumble, which you know, I I don't want to put it like Bill Buckner level bad of like harassment. I assume it's probably not as bad there.
1: Right. Now I saw a documentary with him, and he still talks about this about that incident to this day, and how he really he was harassed and if we put into perspective you know one play out of somebody's entire career that it's it is a little unfortunate but that's how serious we are as sports fans yeah i always think there's a fun aspect
0: there should be a fun aspect of being a sports fan but i feel like there are sometimes people take it way too far uh, people shouldn't be harassed and things like that I always right. think of mitch williams when he gave up the home run the fact that he owned up to it And, you know, hey, it was a bad pitch. I was working on the slide step, and Joe Carter got the pitch. I mean, that's what a lot of people, especially in Philly, that you would have thought people would at least like the fact that he owned up to his mistake. You know, it happens. And I I think a lot of people did. I mean, his teammates probably weren't so complimentary, but seeing some of those teammates are pretty much scumbags anyway. I guess it wouldn't matter. Right. Sometimes... Fans. I mean, there's a a point to be angry and frustrated, but, you know, there's no need to harass people.
1: Well, I mean, even in our household, because we're divided and we play each other, you know, we make it fun. We do silly little bets. I mean, I'll have him clean the house if he loses. And, you know, he'll make me do stuff. (laughs) So we do our silly little bets with each other. But we keep it fun. And it is fun.
0: I, I, you know what, and all the talking about watching football, what is the game day spread that you have over your house? What, what do you do for game day? Foods?
1: Uh, well, we usually do, we have a group of friends, and we call it Sunday Fun Day. And we usually have it hosted either, we, we trade off. So it'll be maybe my house, or my friend Jen's house, or my friend Terry, or my friend Tara's house. And we go all out. Earl, we have a nice spread. Like There is cheese plates, there are wings, there's dips, there's everything you could imagine we have for game day. Pizza, I mean, there is a lot of food on Sunday Funday.
0: What is the official food of Cleveland? I know that Chicago has a lot of things. I know they talk about the beef sandwiches and, of course, their own style hot dog and the deep dish pizza, but what is the food of Cleveland?
1: Huh? That's a good question. Um, I can't really associate it with any one specific food. I know that there's, I guess, maybe pierogies is very popular there. Um, we Pizza's big in Cleveland. And, yeah, I mean, I don't really think there's anything really that stands out as being our trademark. Like, you know, Chicago's a deep dish pizza. I don't think we really have anything like that. That I can think of, maybe there is, but I just don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, because and we think sort of going back to the Cincinnati-Cleveland discussion. Like I know Cincinnati, they do skyline chili, and I know that's a, a big thing, especially even in Maryland. There's this place, Hard Times Cafe. Okay, I'm giving them a free shout out. Yeah, they do their own style of Cincinnati-style chili. And basically, you know, they put it, of course, on the spaghetti. They put it you on your, your burgers or hot dogs and things like that. And and it's interesting. That's why I wasn't sure there's like a particular food that symbolizes uh, Cleveland itself.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't really. Nothing's coming to my mind right now. Thinking about a, a food that associates it. Yeah, I mean, I know in game day, like at my house growing up, we always had pizza. So we would order pizza, and that was what we would do there, but nothing really.
0: (laughs) Bratwurst or hot dogs? What do you prefer?
1: I don't really like either. Because I don't really like... Well, I will do, like, chicken sausage. Mm -hmm. So, I guess I would prefer a bratwurst over a hot dog then.
0: Yeah, I I always think it's sort of weird and I think it may be sort of like a regional thing because some people might like sausages more than they like hot dogs and... I know like when it comes to that, I'm a very picky eater when it comes to hot dogs. I I will only eat beef. I will not eat anything else that is considered a hot dog but isn't. A pork hot dog is a sausage in my mind, and sausage has a perfect time and place for certain things, but it is not for when it's being called a hot dog.
1: (laughs) So you won't eat the turkey dogs I eat?
0: No. Now my (laughs) sister-in-law eats chicken hot dogs, and I tried making a turkey meatloaf. And you notice if there's a food that you eat that you don't like and you're trying to eat it, you keep trying to chew and chew and chew and chew <laughs> the hope that it automatically just goes down. That is how I am with uh, a lot of turkey-based meats that uh, – turkey-based replacement meats for, like, meatloaf or meatballs or things like that. I- I- I'll eat regular turkey on Thanksgiving. I'll – I'm starting to slowly be won over by the turkey legs at the Renaissance fairs, but nothing other than than those things. I've tried turkey bacon. When you find out there's more salt in turkey bacon than there is in regular bacon, you might as well just eat the real thing. <laughs>
1: That's funny. I'm not a big bacon fan either. My son just has started loving bacon, so I'm having to buy it for him. But I'm not. I'm not a big bacon fan.
0: What about Scrapple? I assume, especially being on the Eastern no, now. No. Mm-mm, I won't do
1: Scrapple. Uh-uh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I always tell people, especially when it comes to certain things like chitlins and Scrapple, I would probably eat... The, well, I do eat the Scrapple more than I would eat chitlins because while they may not both be the best offering of what comes from the pig, the is in a better package. And well. it doesn't stink. <laughs> Will you
1: eat muskrat?
0: Not try. I have not (laughs) tried that. I've tried rabbit, and I don't know. It just it's like chicken. I don't know. I tried rabbit. wasn't wasn't impressed. But you know,
1: fortunately, I tried squirrel once. But I was actually tricked into that because I was dating a a a guy in college, and his dad made dinner, and he told me it was chicken. And then when I ate, took a bite, they all laughed at me, and they said, "You just ate squirrel." And I. Pretty much, that's why I'm not dating
0: that guy anymore. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've I've had bear sausage, which is not... Actually, it's pretty good. I feel like one of those... Bear? Yeah, bear. Yeah, my brother-in-law uh, got some bear sausage, and yeah, it's not too bad. Ooh. I feel like with certain things, you probably got to put a little bit of filler in it, too, just because, especially like with deer, it's, it's super, super lean, and it'll just crumble apart.
1: And let me guess, you're
0: an Old Bay fan, too. Ah ah depends on not on only on shrimp and fries but other than that i'm not big big crab fan because you now crab cake yes but i'm not i, I get lazy when it comes to trying to pick my seafood
1: well i can't have it i'm allergic oh yeah 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 i keep forgetting uh, yeah, yeah. So i don't like bay. the smell of it reminds me of of seafood
0: yeah um yeah i'll agree say yeah i mean and that's the interesting thing when it comes to, like, food allergies. I I cross my fingers every day that I, I, I try or that I hope that there aren't certain foods because I know there's a lot of people who have peanut allergies and um, banana allergies and strawberry allergies and, and things like that. And, you know, it's I, – I can't imagine – what do you do in a situation like that where – is it just the smell that trigger, that could trigger it, or is it just if you come in actual – is it touching it, or is it tasting it? Well, action,
1: or? I, I try not to touch it. it. It is tasting it, but I know – like, I have been to people's house when they've had, like, all-you-can-eat crab or all-you-can-eat shellfish, and it overwhelms me where I could start to feel like my breathing is a little different, so – I just try to stay away from it. And if we're at a restaurant and somebody's ordering shellfish, I usually move a seat away from them. And I'm fine with that. And I always tell them when we're there that, you know, I'm allergic to keep my plate separate from whoever is ordering what. And, you know, they're usually really good about it. And so I haven't had any problems, knock on wood. Um, I have heard, though, that you can outgrow allergies. So I might want to get retested just to see, just because I am on the eastern shore. Yeah. But we'll see. So, I have a question for you. Okay. So, Earl, if you had to guess or predict now, who do you think will be the division leader for my group? Hmm. Uh, Would you pick the Browns? You know,
0: right now, because I think there are a number of questions with a lot of teams, I could see them leading the division. Honestly, I could see – a combination of the Ravens, Steelers, and Browns leading that division at all at one point in the season. Who's going to win the division overall finally? I don't know. It depends on how many times Big Ben ends up sort of uh, burning bridges with his teammates and whether Lamar Jackson becomes a legit quarterback. And the less said about the Bengals, the better, especially with their new coach, because who knows what he's going to do. I don't think every new young coach is going to be Sean McVay, so I I think the Bengals are a non-factor. But... You know, I, I could so see you're Cleveland winning the division.
1: There's a chance.
0: Yeah, I think Cleveland can win the division. <laughs> I, it all depends, and especially in football, it's all about an issue of health because you never know. You could have a situation where Baker plays well and then not not you know not hoping for an injury it's just you never know what's going to happen because.
1: Yeah, you don't say that. At all.
0: <laughs> I, I, I believe me, as a residents fan who's seen uh, quarterbacks go down. Earl, ridiculous you, pace do not,
1: do not say that what do you think about Odell? you think he's going to be a factor? I mean he's amazing with those hands I, I um
0: i yeah, I think so. as long as he doesn't have to deal with Josh Norman on a constant basis, and that's out of his head, and he's actually there to play, and you know he doesn't have some injury. That sidelines him again. I think that's the other issue. It's either his head or his body, and I think that's a big issue. It's one thing if your body starts to fail you, but when you seem like to be a – the perception is he's a head case, and maybe that's not true. Maybe it's just because the way that Giant's front office was. I mean, as long as Baker Mayfield's fairly accurate and throws to him, I think everything will be fine. I know it's a roundabout answer, but, yeah, I think Odell Beckham could have a breakout year, especially with all those other guys there. I mean, there's a potential for that offense to be dangerous. Who knows how dangerous it will be, but it all depends. Good play calling. um, No sophomore slump for Baker Mayfield and everybody stays healthy. I think that's a scary team. Yes.
1: Preach it. I mean, go brownies.
0: Yeah, I, and that's the thing, especially I feel like the older I've gotten, that I used to like watch all sports, especially when I was like 12, 13. I used to watch it all the time. ESPN used to be my go to network. And I feel like the older I got, I just feel like I just start focusing more on my teams more and more and less than everything else. So you never know how everybody else is doing. It's just more like how your team's doing in a vacuum right the only reason i could tell you how the eagles and giants are doing because especially the eagles i hear it all the time on sports talk radio when i'm trying to avoid listening to anything of any substance and the giants they're they're just a train wreck yeah i mean i don't think that still bodes well for the redskins but i mean and i don't trust madden ratings they're apparently the cowboys are the second best rated team in madden behind the Eagles and I, or maybe the third best. I'm not sure. Cause I'm surprised that new England isn't up top, but
1: well, it's going to be an exciting season. I think regardless of what our predictions are, I just think it's going to be very exciting. And I'm looking forward to seeing all these new players come together.
0: Gene, as we wrap this interview up and I do appreciate it. And I look forward to having you back again. What are some ways people can reach out to you on social media? I'm not sure if you're big on doing a lot of the social media stuff. Um, but what are ways people can reach out and, and contact you if, if you want them to?
1: <laughs> the
0: equivalent of a uh, you know, Wade Boggs bang on the door.
1: Yeah. Well, I am on social media because that's one of the classes I teach here. So I like to see what the students are experiencing so that we can talk about it. So I'm on Facebook. I'm on Snapchat. I am on Instagram. I do have a Twitter account, but I'm usually not on it. I only go on it on Sundays because I can tweet at the NFL. And the NFL refs when they're ruining my brownies chance at winning. (laughs) So that's always fun on Sundays. And if you do see my Twitter account, you'll see it's all at NFL, at NFL Browns at the refs.com. But yeah, those are the ways in which you can, you can reach me on social media.
0: I I do appreciate it again, Gene, And I look forward to having you back. And yeah, I'm excited about this.
1: We'll make an agreement. When my brownies get into the playoffs, we'll talk again.
0: Okay. Deal? Oh yeah. Hopefully it'll be very soon. Hopefully it become January or so because yeah. I don't want this to hold out and we go like three years and not <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't say that. I'll talk to you sooner than later. Oh yeah. I am very optimistic.
0: And that was my interview with Gene Goblinger. I hope you enjoyed it. If you know anyone who might find this episode of interest, please share. Next time, my guest will be John J. Brooks Easterbrook. Easterbrook, a sports reporter on WTOP-FM Radio in Washington, D.C., will share how he got an interest in radio, how he came up with his on-air name, and how he got into acting with appearances on shows such as House of Cards, Veep, and more. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Stitcher Radio, and wherever else podcasts are heard. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to The Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at TheSportsRefuge, on Instagram at SportsRefugeSportsBlog, and on Facebook at the Sports, Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.